Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Tuesday. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Because 
turn and working hard to not fall apart but now I feel I'm burning down trying to figure all this out headed to my car running from the stars trying to be in control hit the docks put the car in park headed into the cold I can feel the chill deep in my bones in my soul
Thank <laughs> you. 
JM in the AM. Atata, done by Avramo. It's Avram Freed. Shlomo Katz and Miani. You heard Smichat Laim, done by Eitan Kleiman. Arye Kunstler's Accept. Margie Shin from Eitan Katz and Yehuda Green. Barry Weber's Liba Boy. Wedding Medley from Blue Melody. And of course, Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Welcome to a Tuesday. And this November the 9th, day five in the month of Kislev. The year 5782, Tufshin Pei Bays. Hope everyone is doing well on this uh, Tuesday. And thanks for tuning in to JM and the AM. Uh, it was the night of November the 9th, 1938. Violent anti-Jewish demonstrations broke out across Germany, Austria, and uh, one of the regions of uh, Czechoslovakia. And we know this now as Kristallnacht. November the 9th and 10th, I mention it because it is important when November 9th rolls around that we keep in mind what was going on, what would be, uh, let's see, 1938, what would be um, 83 years ago today, 83 years ago today, but something that uh, a lot of people still, because of their their age, I know that I... As many obviously survivors remaining as uh, as there were at one time, but there's still people in our community who could tell us about what it was like either being in Europe at the time or hearing the news at the time of what was going on in Europe. And for those of us who are living in uh, in freedom and and enjoying luxury and liberty, it's important to remember what our predecessors went through. So it's Kristallnacht's uh, commemoration. On this November the 9th, uh, kudos to those organizations and those groups that have uh, actually put together memorials and commemorations for this date. Uh, It's a date that should certainly stay alive in the annals of uh, modern Jewish history. 52 degrees with 70% humidity. Winds are west at 4 miles per hour. Sunny today with a high temperature of 70. Then tonight, partly cloudy and a low 56. Sunshine for tomorrow and a high Wednesday, 67 degrees. 76 right now in Yerushalayim. We're at 52 in New York City. As we say good morning at JM in the AM. Thanks so much for tuning in. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone and comment away. Your comments are always welcome. Uh, today on this broadcast, we get an opportunity to speak to Surly Besser. He's out with two brand new books. Both of them very, very interesting. Um, we'll speak with him. Also, Dr. Jeffrey Lichtman is going to join us. Turo College. We'll have an opportunity to speak with him on the air as well. So a a morning with some great guests, a morning with some great music, and a morning where we get to be together as a community, and that's much appreciated. Um, all of you listening from around the world, no matter where you are, you could be right here in Manhattan. You could be, uh, you could be, well, you could be frankly anywhere. <laughs> anywhere on this globe. Thanks for being part of this amazing an incredible community. Uh, more coming up. You're listening to a Tuesday morning edition of JM in the AM. He's my 
about banners or slogans and such. Temptation has waved all these too. Don't worry about how the game will play out. While the only piece missing is you.
Pretty amazing, huh? Benny Freeman, Shirley, uh, uh, Shirley Green, right? Yeah, Shirley Green and Benny Freeman together with Bashir. Avram Rosenblum and Diaspora with both Kedem and Nahonli B, Shiribo and Shuli Ron, Tarayeka. Atata was done by Avramel. Tuesday morning, JM in the AM, 52 degrees, sunshine and a high temperature of 70. If you are not yet a monthly contributor to the Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting, we're asking between now and the end of the year, the end of the calendar year, that you consider 
being a monthly donor. The recurring donors of 36, uh, 72, 180, whatever it is per month that you can give is such a key uh, to us being able to provide such amazing programming every single day. Go to fjbunity.org for details, fjbunity.org for details. And, of course, we thank you, uh, all of our amazing sponsors. We say thank you, and that means listener support, corporate support, everybody who pitches in to make this a really, truly incredible uh, daily effort. Um, it is so appreciated, you can't imagine. Tuesday morning broadcast, JM in the AM. And uh, a reminder that our friends at um, the American Society for Yad Vashem invite you to join them for their 2021 National Gala. It's called the Art of Remembrance, a virtual experience scheduled for Sunday, November the 14th. That's this coming Sunday, beginning at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And the the event is a virtual experience this coming Sunday, 7 o'clock, hosted by the Israeli-American actress and activist Noah Tishbi. It'll honor the Ettingen family, leaders, and longtime supporters of Yad Vashem. The program will focus on the arts and culture of the Shoah through the unique lens of Yad Vashem. It will share remarkable musical and artistic works and showcase the creative spirit that lifted Jews during this very difficult period. For information, you can go to... Uh, Yad Vashem USA.org slash 2021 Gala. Yad Vashem USA.org slash 2021 Gala. This is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at AlchemSingle.com and the AlchemSingle Network, and of course, on the beloved NSNF. Got yeah, lights out in the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. We'll check in with our friends at Turo College later on. We will check in with Rabbi Srili Besser. He's got two brand new books out there, both fascinating. Both very, very fascinating. One, in fact, about Birchas Shachar, Moda'ani Through the Morning Blessings. Very interesting. And frankly, uh, for those of us who appreciate that part of the morning prayers as very, very personal between us and the one above, Really amazing. And the book about uh, Moshe Reichman, simply remarkable. A history lesson like none other, frankly. Anyway, it's all coming up. But find out information about these books and order them by going to artscroll.com, artscroll.com. Always use promo code radio. Always use promo code radio. When you use promo code radio at artscroll.com, you get your nice discount. Plus, you get free shipping as well. So whenever you go to artscroll.com, you know the rule. Always use Promo code radio. Galitzal in the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Tuesday follows next. We say Boker Tov from Jam in the AM. צהל מירושלים השעה שתיים. שלום רב, באולפן מריאם בלוך, עם מה שקורה עכשיו. כתב אישום הוגש נגד חבר הכנסת חיים קץ בגין עבירה של קשירת קשר להשגת מטרה קשרה באמצעים פסולים. 
על פי הסדר טיעון יודה במיוחס לו, והצדדים יעתרו לעונש מוסכם. עם הפרטים, כתבנו בן נצר. על פי הסיכום בין הצדדים, השניים יעתרו במשותף לעונש של מאסר על תנאי וקנס כספי לשיקול בית המשפט. זאת אחרי שכץ הורשע על פי הודעתו בעבירה של קשירת קשר להשגת מטרה קשירה באמצעים פסולים. עבירה פחותה מזו שיוחסה לו במקור. ההרשעה מגיעה לאחר שכץ קיבל בעבר חסינות מהכנסת, אולם כעת החליט שלא לבקש אותה פעם נוספת. תיק אחר שיוחס לכץ נגנז בשל קשיים ראייתיים. חבר הכנסת כץ התייחס להחלטה ומסר כי האישום עוסק במידע שהיה עליו להביא לכנסת ואינו הפיק ממנו רווח אישי. עוד ציין כי הוא לוקח אחריות מלאה ושילם מחיר כבד. גיסתו של שר החוץ יאיר לפיד התפטרה מתפקידה בדירקטוריון קק"ל ומתפקידיה ביש עתיד בעקבות הביקורת הציבורית הרבה שנשמעה מאז מונתה לתפקיד לפני כשבוע וחצי. בדף הפייסבוק שלו כתב לפיד, גיסתי האהובה אלעיל הודיעה לי הבוקר שהיא מתפטרת מקק"ל ומכל תפקידיה ביש עתיד. היא לא הייתה מוכנה לספוג יותר את ההתקפה הפרועה שעברה. אנשי הספינים והמושחתים ניצחו את הקרב הזה. אנחנו נישאר כאן כדי לוודא שהם לא ינצחו במלחמה. ידיעה שמסרה כתבתנו המדינית מוריה אסרף וולברג. ברקע החלשות הדולר וגל עליות המחירים, נשיא איגוד לשכות המסחר אוריאל לין מאשים אצל אמיר איבגי, הממשלה אחראית לעליות המחירים. שיעורי המכס שאותה מטילה המדינה זה ברמה של 300 אחוז וגם ברמה של 560 אחוז. זאת אומרת, מדינת ישראל מטילה מכסים קוקפטי וכה גבוהים שמונעים כל תחרות. כתבתנו עינב קרנר מוסיפה כי הדולר נמצא בשיא השפל במהלך 25 השנים האחרונות ושערו עומד נכון לשעה זו על 3 שקלים ו-10 אגורות. סם הרחוב נייסגיי הוכנס הבוקר רשמית לפקודת הסמים המסוכנים. בתוך כך גבר נוסף נפטר כתוצאה מצריכת הסם המורעל בצפון. מדווח כתבנו לענייני בריאות שי פרידמן. ועדת הבריאות בכנסת אישרה הבוקר את הכנסת סם הרחוב לפקודת הסמים המסוכנים במטרה לאפשר מאבק רחב יותר בהפצתו. זאת בעוד עלה מספר הנפגעים בצפון מתפוצת הסם שהוסף לו על פי החשד רע על עכברים ל-64. אתמול עלה מניין המתים כתוצאה מצריכת הסם המורעל לשניים. לאחר שבבית החולים רמב״ם נקבע מותו של גבר בן 41 שסבל מדימום במוחו. ומזג האוויר עדיין חם מהרגיל לעונה ויבש. אלה החדשות שעורך רועי ולד.
high rollers This holy puzzle's coming clear Every last piece is needed Lone here Lone soldier, driver Part-time graphic designer Any clock that ticks is telling me This is our time, lucky our way No matter if you can't Oh my no, I'm going to lay no Oh my yafo, Yerusha, say no Oh my yafo, Yerusha, say no
להודות ולהתפלל, להרים את הכוסית וגם לאחל ולברך על ההמשך שניפגש בשמחות. J.M. in the A.M. at Toast to Life. L'chaim at Yaakov Shweki. Shlomo Kalbach with Baruch Nafshi. You heard Lucky done by Eighth Day. Relatively brand new selection here at J.M. in the A.M. I say relatively. It seems there's new material out every single day. But that is, of course, the latest from Eighth Day. Eighth Day may actually join us in studio next week, which would be amazing. Here at J.M. in the A.M. We'll keep you up to date on that. 52 degrees, sunshine, and a high temperature of 70. Low tonight, 56. And tomorrow, sunny with a high of 67 degrees. We're at 76 right now in Yerushalayim, 52 here in New York City. As we say good morning at JM in the AM, join Turo College as we celebrate 50 years. From a class of 35 students in 1971, Turo is now a flourishing institution. More than 100,000 alumni have graduated and moved on to serve the community in the fields of medicine, dentistry, healthcare, finance, Jewish education, law, social work, and so much more. Be part of our Jubilee year and help us honor our esteemed alumni, dedicated faculty, and inspiring students. Visit 50.turo.edu today. That's 50.turo.edu today. Um, I remind you about our community calendar online. Go to nachomsegel.com slash community dash calendar. You'll see a bunch of events up there, including, let me just refresh the page so we get to the latest, including the November 11th OJNA annual conference. 
We spoke about that on the air. That's up there for uh, this coming Thursday. Uh, greetings to our friends in Philly, the Best Cake Bakery. They've un- they're under new ownership. We've been talking about heading down there one day. We'll see if that happens. Yishe Rebo's in Teaneck on the 15th. Bergen County Hanukkah Toy Drive is taking off, or I should say taking place as we speak. It's under the November 15th entry on our website. Uh, the Atid Society has Elon Gold to benefit the Kushner Schools, and that's on the uh, 21st of November. We'll talk more about that later in the week. And, of course, yesterday we featured the Ohel Gala, the 52nd Annual Ohel Gala at the New York Marriott Marquis. You'll find that on our community calendar as well. There's a lot going on. If you have a, a, an event you'd like to get onto our community calendar, just send it to Avrami, AF, at NahumSiegel.com. Again, that is AF at NahumSiegel.com. That is the easiest way uh, to get something onto our community calendar, simply by emailing it to Avrami. If you have a flyer and additional information attached, even better. More coming up. You're listening to JM in the AM. Bossy.
daring moving story ever to have been told one of agony and glory of a mission to uphold mm, and you're essential to this story a letter in its sacred stroke and it's not just allegory when you embrace your place and role you never find yourself in a situation that you cannot undo so let your letter shine unto the nations be proud to be a Jew as we've been hunted down in senseless hate and we're searching back with love and care and it's never ever too late for any Jew a holy letter every family word a community a sentence each voice it must be heard and to the letters that rose up in smoke we must do more than say never again and be the eternal letters of hope for our children and for them and you know you never find yourself In a situation that you cannot undo So let your letter shine unto the nations Be proud to be a Jew Cause we've been hunted down in senseless hate And we're searching back with love and care I know it's never, never, never too late For any Jew, any Jew Hey! He said to himself, if the Nazis search out every Jew in hate, we will search out every Jew in love. 
There's a home we must build together to heal a fractured world. The dignity of difference we must treasure in our deeds and in our words. Live with faith in our future. Come much sooner when we'll all live in harmony. You never find yourself in a situation that you cannot undo. So let your letter shine onto the nations. Be proud to be a Jew. Anywhere. It's never too late. JM in the AM, it's never too late. That's Ruby New. Before that, Ashray done by Botkol. You heard Emesh Gachech. I was Benny Friedman, and you're listening to a Tuesday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM. Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, Zechonishmas Harav Zebnevis of Alevi, and the Zechonishmas Esther Basravis of Alevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. Rabbi Lozer once fell ill. Rabbi Yochanan went to visit him. He noticed that he was lying in a dark room. He was a poor man. He lived in a room without windows. Rabbi Yochanan then bared his arm and light radiated from it. He noticed that Rabbi Lozer was weeping. So he said to him, Why are you crying? Is it because you didn't study enough? Surely we learn that one who sacrifices a lot and the one who sacrifices a little have the same merit provided as long as the heart is directed towards Shemayim. Is it perhaps because of the lack of parnasa, livelihood? Not everybody has the privilege of learning and wealth at the same time. Is it perhaps because of the lack of children? This is the bone of my tenth son that was buried. Rebeloso replied, No, I'm crying because of your beauty that is going to rot in the earth. Rabbi Yochanan said, On that account, you surely have a reason to cry. And they both wept together. Rabbi Yochanan then said to him, Are your sufferings welcome to you? Rebeloso said, No, not the suffering and not their reward. Rabbi Yochanan then said, Give me your hand. Rabbi Loza gave it to him. Rabbi Yochanan raised him and he cured him. The question is, if Rabbi Yochanan had such a power to extend his hand and heal a person, why did he ask all the questions? He could have just extended his hand in the first place and healed him. The answer is, if he would have asked first if he wants to get well, Rabbi Loza might have said, No, just leave me alone and I'll die. He could have been so distressed because he felt that the Torah was far from him. He was poor and he had no children. Now, with the illness that he had and all of the pains and troubles, maybe he didn't have the power, the koyach, to go on. Maybe he just wanted to die. 
Because of this, Rabbi Yochanan began to take apart his troubles one by one, to deal with each one separately, until only the illness remained. And for that, he extended his hand to help him. Everyone has tsaras. Everyone has certain difficulties. Ein lecha adam she'ein lo yisurim. The Medrash tells us there isn't anyone that doesn't have some type of affliction. But when they're all jumbled together, and you can't tell where one begins and the other ends, that brings a person to yeush, to despair, to throwing up his hands. It is our job in this world to make it easier for people, to try and help them to understand their lives, to try and give them a better life, to understand that there is great hope for every person. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser, bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day. Studio here at JM in the AM. There we go. <laughs> Sorry about that. A Tuesday morning broadcast, and um, that is from the New York Boys Choir. Achakelo is the name of that selection. 
here at JM in the AM. Well, we have been, um, over the last couple of weeks, we had the opportunity to speak with representatives from uh, Turo and Lander Colleges who were um, reminding everybody, along with me, about the importance of attending their open houses, which I am sure were great successes. And um, uh, during the last couple of weeks, as we were exploring our future guests here at JM the AM, um, we um, we requested that uh, Dr. Jeffrey Lichman join us because we couldn't think of anyone better to discuss the state of Jewish education as now we, I hope we could say this, have gotten uh, to a somewhat regular place in terms of the logistics, at least, when it comes to education in our community. And I mean that obviously in reference uh, to COVID. And he's, of course, an expert not only in education, but in special education as well. Um, And uh, we could discuss just how all of this has affected the specific student communities uh, within our community. With all that having been said, it's a pleasure to welcome Dr. Dr. Jeffrey Lichman, who is the uh, director of the of Graduate Jewish Education and Special Education at the Turo College and University System, has been a guest of ours many times before. Dr. Lichtman, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. And it's a pleasure to be here. Good morning, Nachum. I sort of, and look, I, I'm, I'm still a high school parent and, uh, and, and have somewhat of a hand on the pulse of what's going on out there in our community. I, I sort of feel that now, a little bit more than a month after the Yuntif season, etc., uh, during this school year, uh, everyone is sort of breathing a sigh of relief <laughs> that that in many ways we have gotten to a point where classroom activity and even you know school scheduling because there were you know classes last year that had to be opened and then closed and then zoomed and then resumed et cetera et cetera et cetera. Uh, I think everyone's breathing a collective sigh of relief. Am I getting the right impression about what's going on out there in the world of Jewish education? So, um, yeah, I think you are. I think there's, uh, there's still anxiety out there, but, but I think the way you're, you're, you're putting it, that, uh, that everybody, if, if not breathing a sigh of relief, they're beginning to be less tense and, uh, and, and more comfortable, you know, with the situation and that the situation has, has come back in our schools to being more normal. Yes, that is all true. Um, I think it's a little less true for the rest of the world um, in general, um, although, there's too. I think it's moving in that direction. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, I think we have sometimes have to feel very lucky that we're um, uh, in the situation we're in compared to other educational systems in this country. Um, you know, everyone's uh, everyone's um, curious what all this has done to Jewish education, what all this has done uh, to our students, young and older. Uh, is, is there a way yet? Are, are we are we far enough down the road yet to start talking about pre-COVID and post-COVID and how it affected the state of Jewish education? So you know, listen. I think that that you know during COVID, I think the um, you know it's been a very tough time. We did far better than um, than I think our public school 
uh, you know, uh, peers, if you will. We were, you know, our schools were open last year for much of the year, um, where so many public schools were not, and which means, and by the way, there's, there's been, you know, studies done already about how far behind um, so many public school children have fallen, unfortunately, and that's largely not true for us. We have an amazing system and one that we should be very proud of, and especially, especially our teachers and school leaders who really, I think, you know, should be up there with the first responders that we lauded and applauded in the past um, during the pandemic. Um, but we still have challenges also. And what about opportunities? Because we talk about both challenges and opportunities. Has there been a positive development from all of this, aside from the fact that we could laud ourselves for being ahead of the curve? Look, I, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I think there are opportunities. I'm not sure that we've taken advantage of them. Much like, um, much like, I think the way people felt. You know, if you if you remember how people were feeling during the lockdown, right. you know, at the at the at the height of the pandemic, and and certainly more, in, you know, in the earlier times, you know, and and everybody was a little, you know, was sad and and more reflective and philosophical about what's important in life, um, and focusing on those things that are most important in life, our relationships and things of that sort that we at that point didn't have the opportunity um, to, you know, to, to, to be part of in, in the way that we had in the past. I think a lot of that, unfortunately, we, we aren't necessarily remembering and taking advantage of. I think that um, some of the same challenges that existed before continue to exist. And, um, and, and for all that we have an amazing system, I also think that, uh, that, that we do have some real challenges, I, as you said, opportunities, but there are only opportunities if we grapple with them. Um, if we just keep going and ignoring the challenges, then some will, will, you know, will fall by the wayside as these things happen, but some will continue to, um, to seriously um, challenge us and, frankly, hurt our system. Dr. Jeffrey Luchman is with us. He is the uh, director of uh, the Graduate Jewish Education and Special Education at the Toro College and University System. Uh, we talk about special ed, and you know, I'm wondering, I may be under a completely wrong impression. I hope that no one takes offense that I would even uh, surmise this way if it is incorrect, but I always felt that the, the, the whole Zoom system uh, and the, 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 um, uh, the um, d- reduction of face-to-face personal attention was a bigger issue in the special education community. Am, am I right about that, or it's a terrible generalization? Um, it's not a terrible generalization, and and you are right and wrong at the same time, as is so often the case with these kinds of things. First of all, look, I, 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 you've heard me say this before, and I don't think it could be emphasized enough. You know, obviously we're talking about, you know, many children in special education, but those many thousands and thousands of children who we, you know, who require um, a special education, um, each one of them is unique and different. And even those with the same challenges, when you're talking about two children who have autism, they can be so different that you might not even know that they share anything in common other than that they're children and Jewish, much, you know, forget that they have autism. Um, And therefore, I'll tell you, there were actually some children um, during the pandemic who actually uh, flourished with the, with Zoom and, 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 and the lack of interaction. However, 
However, that's one small portion. Overall, um, children, you know, with special needs actually were, I think, quite challenged. Think about, you know, again, I think one of the the, the important dimensions of, of education, and, and particularly for kids with special needs often, is the, the social dimension, is the socialization and, and learning um, how to socialize, which sometimes they have a much harder time learning than their, um, you know, mainstream peers. And, uh, you know, when you're not together, that gets challenged. When you're wearing masks in school, even if you are together, not being able to read those same facial cues and, and social cues um, in the same way as was in the past, uh, that gets challenged. When a teacher is teaching wearing a mask um, and their voice is not the same and is muffled a little bit, um, that's a challenge. So I, I think our kids with special needs as a group, group to group, um, you know, did experience a harder time. There's no question about that. At the same time, I will remind all of your listeners that, um, you know, I think children are, 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 frankly, human beings are resilient, and children in particular are, are really pretty resilient. Think about the child, God forbid, who, you know, spikes a high fever, and, and, and you're, you know, as a parent, you're really worried, and 104, and never, you know, and everything else, and they're so, you know, miserable, and then, you know, suddenly, an hour later, the, the fever's coming down, and you would never know that they, they weren't feeling well, yeah. right? That's almost like a, the flip of a switch. We're not like that as adults, not to the same degree, but, but kids are very resilient, and I think they've handled it, um, the situation, frankly, far better um, than we adults have. Um, so for the most part, I think the kids, even those with, you know, with, with special needs, have, have weathered um, the challenge, but, uh, but you know, it, it's been hard. Tell me about the uh, new program at Turo. Um, so uh, I think you're referring to our program, which started about uh, about uh, two and a half years ago, uh, where we train um, men and women, young uh, adults in particular, uh, to go into teaching. Many of them already are in teaching, but where we provide them with uh, a master's degree and, and certification and intensive training to be the best teachers that they can possibly be, and particularly training them to teach Limudek others, to teach Judaic studies in, in our yeshivas and schools. And I have to tell you that, um, you know, I mentioned challenge er, challenges earlier. Um, you know, perhaps that's our greatest challenge. We do not have um, really very well-trained teachers. We would not, in most of our schools, you know, we would not hire somebody um, to teach high school physics or, or middle school English without a master's degree and without, you know, the knowledge of English literature or, or high school physics or whatever it might be, as well as the training, the knowledge to teach. Right. Um, and, and let's be honest. Um, that's largely not the case in our yeshivas, particularly around Limudet Kodesh, which is the, the raison d'etre. Our, our, the very being of our yeshivas is to right, is to teach our children Limudet Kodesh, is to imbue them with the love of, 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 of Torah, of Jews, of Judaism, and yet the people teaching in our classrooms who do a great job, um, given that many of them are really coming to it not well-trained or not trained at all, 
um, you know, that's a real challenge. And, uh, you know, the fact that somebody knows how to learn Torah doesn't mean that they know how to teach Torah. That's, a, I believe that's a major challenge. And, and exacerbating that challenge, and this is, is preceded COVID, but it's certainly continuing, is that we don't have enough teachers. We literally do not have enough teachers to fill all of the slots in our growing system, and that seems to be a challenge that is not going away, that is only growing and increasing. And that's one of the reasons why Turo, you know, you know, some uh, you know, a few years ago said, no, you know, we have to get into the game here and, and uh, specifically work towards um, providing more teachers for our yeshivas and, um, and, and definitely providing more well-trained teachers, particularly to teach um, because that's that's what that is the primary that's the reason for being of our schools. Is uh, I mean it's two three years old as you just indicated, meaning the new program. Uh, is, is there a sample size or anecdotal evidence uh, to tell us that this is already working and having an impact on the day school and yeshiva league system? So, uh, you know, listen, I would love to say, oh, yes, um, I, I can't say that there's no... Um, well, how no long do we have to wait? How, lo- how long do you... I can share yeah. is that we graduated our first class this past summer, our first cohort uh, of about 12 individuals. And what I can tell you is that um, I get calls and emails all the time asking me for, you know, candidates, for people, you know, for teachers from different school principals. Um, and and that, uh, you know, that's only increased, and people have been calling me and saying, you know, we heard from our colleagues who actually were teaching, in, you know, in, in school X, and, and we want those teachers. Um, so anecdotally, the schools that, that those people that we've graduated, um, you know, anecdotally, those school principals have shared with us um, how how you know, pleased they are and what a difference they've begun to make. And uh, even, I, I continue, even, you know, for people in the program, while they're getting the training, the schools that they work in um, have been contacting us and, and, and sharing how, how excited they are at seeing um, the difference between somebody who, you know, has been trained and who knows methodology, you know, versus uh, somebody who doesn't. Well, amazing. Uh, what's next? <laughs> what else needs to be added to either this program or individual programs that need to be added to enhance uh, this entire Jewish educational system? And now I'm referring to your program uh, even more. Right. So um, we, we've we actually, you know, till now the program, uh, or t- until recently the program was a uh, an in-person program. Um, and uh, during COVID we... we uh, created a, another parallel program that's an online program, and and what that does is it gives us the the capacity to teach people, um, to have people in the program from all over, really all over the world, but I'll say all over the United States and Canada, and we've begun to get, uh, you know, calls um, from potential candidates uh, from different places, Montreal, uh, uh, Toronto, Los Angeles, um, et cetera. So that, that's one thing. During the quickly, as we saw that our schools were um, 
you know, struggling, or many of our teachers were struggling with suddenly having to use technology in ways that they had never used, you know, used it before. And I, I, by that I mean not just Zoom, although that was a big part of it, but, but again, how to use technology. And that's one of the challenges, I think, also, as a, you know, as a, as a quick side note, I think that, you know, I think pre-COVID there was a, a, a notion floating out there uh, not by many, but by some that, you know, somehow maybe, you know, did we really need teachers? Can't we use the computer, you right. know, to, to replace teachers? And I think that, that if anything, COVID has helped to, uh, to prove that, um, that while technology can be a great enhancement, can be a great tool when used properly, it, it in no ways can replace the human factor and the human being as a teacher. Um, but technology can be a great tool, and we actually put together a certificate program, an intensive, you know, one-year training program to teach people who know some technology, to teach them more technology, and more importantly, to teach them how to coach other teachers who don't, how to to coach and teach those teachers um, how to use technology, how to use it effectively, um, how to, frankly, not to be afraid of it if you haven't used it before, and and what different things to use it for. So we've done that, and, and, and we've we we also actually just graduated, uh, you know, recently about the, our first, you know, group of 10 um, individuals who, you know, have gone into different schools um, to do that. And uh, we're continuing to do that. Right now, one of uh, the things that we're working on is school leadership. And um, we're putting together, and, and we hope to start this summer, a new um, leadership training program uh, that will uh, provide uh, intensive training for our school leaders, for our school principals, um, and that will give them the uh, the tools. Again, you know, you might be a great teacher. Um, the skills that that are called on that that you need to have to be a school leader um, sometimes overlap with teaching, but often uh, are other different skills. And and we don't want our people. You know, I'm sure you know the the Peter principle. We want them not to rise to their level of, of you know, ignorance, if you will, but to their level of competence and, and help them to become competent. So we're, we're, we're putting the final touches on a, uh, a leadership training program for, for school principals, and that'll be for people, you know, all over the, the country and, and Canada. Um, so that's another thing. And then certainly professional development on an ongoing basis. Not everybody is going to come back to school um, to get a, a master's degree and that significant level of, of further training in, in teaching. Um, and so actually next week we're doing a conference on Jewish special education uh, in person. I think it's, it's, it's perhaps it's certainly amongst the very first uh, educational conferences that are happening in person. Uh, in a few months, we're planning to do the same thing for Jewish education, um, and and we plan to take those, uh, you know, as as time goes on, regionally to different parts of the United States and Canada, so that we can provide direct in the field in real time um, ongoing professional development for our uh, our rebbeim, our mowers, our teachers. The Jewish Special Ed Conference happens on November the 16th, which is a week from today. Jewish Special Education Today and Tomorrow is the title. The keynote is about the pandemic and lessons learned over the last year and a half. Uh, Can I assume there's information on the website uh, or any other type of information you'd like to give about the conference? Uh, yeah, the, the the conference the information is on the website. It's an all day conference at uh, at uh, our campus at one of our campuses, two thousand and two, 
uh, Avenue J and Ocean Avenue, right in the heart of Flatbush. And uh, but more importantly, um, we have uh, some of the best people, um, you know, who both school leaders and school teachers who are coming there to present on. Um, you know, best practices. How do you teach Tanakh? How do you teach Chumash to children who have language disabilities? Right. Um, how do you teach, you know, math to children who have difficulties, you know, with that? How do you work with children who have anxiety? And frankly, we have, a, you know, uh, a real increase in, in children who are experiencing anxiety today, as much as we have an increase in, in people and adults experiencing anxiety all over the world. Right. Oh, boy. We certainly do. It is hard to stay ahead of the game, I'll tell you. <laughs> Whoever sure thought is. the Jewish education would get to the point that, thank God, uh, the entire system is this sophisticated. You know, we always talk about when it comes to Turo, because I always remind students and parents out there that it is a better idea in the long run not to utilize shortcuts for your undergrad and graduate education. And I always emphasize that at Turo, you have real classes, real courses, real degrees, and it all leads to real jobs. And I think even in the area of Jewish education where people might think it doesn't apply, I think you could certainly join me in saying it certainly applies in 2021. Oh, it certainly does apply. You know, we are affected, Nachum. Uh, you know, as a community, we're affected by everything that everyone else is affected right. by, everything. You know, we hope that we're maybe affected to a lesser degree, but there is nothing that we're immune from. And, and, and I hope that that's something that everybody realizes. You know, we live in this, you know, we, you know, thank God we have strong communities and a strong system. So, you know, the kids often refer to the bubble that they, that they grow up in. Um, but the bubble is, is permeable. The bubble is not, you know, it, it, it's not insoluble, and 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 um, again, we're really immune. And and to not have, you know, I'm reminded of, you know, of, of there was a time when, when women didn't have good Jewish education, right? right. Yep. So, you know, and 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 the Ravs Zatal and others, you know, understood that that uh, no, that we needed to provide, you know, to our women for so many different reasons, the same quality uh, education that 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 we would give to boys, and in the same sort of way, yes, we need today more than ever we need um, we need teachers who who not just know Torah but who know how to engage children in meaningful dynamic ways who understand who children are who understand the unique individuality of te- uh, children who understand how children learn the same and also differently one from another um, and therefore how to you know to to, to um, excel at, at this really task, uh, this holy task, and this, this you know, the, the, this so important task of helping our, our, our families and our community to raise our children, you know, in, in, a, in a life of Torah. And that can only be done by knowing, by knowing technology, by knowing everything else that, that the kids know and that they're surrounded by and, dare I say, assaulted by. Yeah, well said, well said. Dr. Jeffrey Lichman, he is the director of the Graduate Jewish Education and Special Education Programs at the Turo College and University System. Information about all of this, Turo.edu. If uh, you are a student or if you are a parent who has a child that is either on this track or interested in this track, uh, you have to uh, make sure to uh, convince him or her uh, to explore uh, this type of program. It will only enhance their abilities down the road. It will uh, certainly enhance their possibilities in terms of employment and good employment, and will also uh, create even better teachers. Dr. Jeffrey Lichman, can't thank you enough. Continued success, and thanks so much for joining us this morning. 
Thank you, Nachum. It's always a pleasure. More coming up at America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program, heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com, the NachumSingle Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app.
J.M. in the A.M. That's Avramo Avram Freed here at J.M. in the A.M. Tuesday morning broadcast, 52 degrees, sunshine, and a high temperature of 70. 76 in Yerushalayim, 52 here in New York City as we say good morning at J.M. in the A.M. Uh, well, many of you know that one of my favorite guests, and I say this uh, in complete seriousness, although he might be rolling his eyes as he's hearing this, <laughs> one of my favorite guests here at JMDM is someone who's not always available to us. It's very hard to get a hold of him. Uh, but thank God this morning we have him with us live via telephone. Uh, Yisrael Besser is with us live via telephone. There are two brand new books from Art Scroll that I want to bring to your attention and remind you. Uh, that when you go to artscroll.com, order these or any books with promo code radio, and you have a wonderful discount and free shipping. You know the rule when you go to artscroll.com. Always use promo code radio. Uh, a little later on in this conversation, we'll talk about Arise and Sing. <coughs> Excuse me. Yisrael Bester's book on the power of the first prayers of the day through commentary, stories, and inspiration. And as somebody who, uh, well, you know what, I'll save that for later on. Uh, but first, I want to speak about the life and legacy of Reb Moshe Reichman. The book is entitled Building for Eternity. Yisrael Besser is the author. He's with us live via telephone. A pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Oh, good morning, Nachem. It's always so nice to be here. Appreciate that We're very much. We're a mix of uh, intelligent conversation, which is also fun. It's usually one or the other. <laughs> and with you, it's always both. <laughs> thank you. I, I think that's a compliment, and I thank you for that. <laughs> Sounds like that. This is mm -hmm. th this this must have been a very interesting project for you, uh, meaning the the uh, the Reichman book, Ramosha Reichman Building for Eternity, because this th there is there is so much a part of this book that is literally a history lesson. I mean, how could you have researched and then written this book and not say to yourself, "My gosh, what hashkacha pratis, what divine providence does it take?" for a family to survive the war, to survive all the tragedies that were going on in Europe at the time, and then eventually to become this thriving family in many ways in the Jewish world. That thought must have come across your mind a million times, like just the mazel and hashkacha that this family had like so many others had. Right. It was clearly a destiny. Everybody is a destiny. And like you're saying, everything is Hashkacha. The ones who didn't survive the war is also Hashkacha right. practice, right. obviously, unfortunately. But there's something, there is a family, there is a destiny to this family, and they knew it. They were marked by destiny, like you said, to survive the war intact those years, to be able to leave Hungary and cross the continent, um, and then to succeed that quickly after arriving in North America was also very, very unusual. They were way ahead of it. The, the, most, most of the established firm families that would rebuild the Torah world after World War II took them about 20 years to find their footing and build the businesses, and, and the Reichmans were way ahead. You know, by, by 1960, they were already wealthy people. Right. And doing it. They, they had this sense of mission. To, and I, I interviewed, you know, I, I worked on the book for six years. So at the beginning wow. of the project, there were still people alive who aren't, who aren't here now. And they would tell me about those early years when there was no... 
you know, today it's not a big deal to find a sponsor for this or that. You can make a, a, a other subanim in your shul, and you know, someone will give you $150 for no problem. Right. It wasn't like that. They said people, they were scared they wouldn't have what to eat. They were all survivors, or many of them were survivors. And even those who had grown up in America remember the Great Depression. They, you know, they, they, didn't, they didn't have this idea of just writing out checks. And you put your money in the bank if you had anything extra. And the Reichmans came with this mindset of doing and doing and building early on. Yeah. To fuel the whole city. I'm glad you said that. It's giving me an additional perspective now as I think about it, because it did strike me that by the early 60s, as you just said, they are you know, doing so well financially and doing so well with Chesed and Stucca. And, and what struck me uh, in terms of your comment that you know they, they got up and dusted, dusted themselves off and got you know, started right away, literally, as the war is ending, Literally, as the war is ending, and then, of course, the immediate aftermath, as people were in displaced persons camps, etc., they're jumping right into action. It's like it's like they're able to forget the horror that that they and their friends and relatives had had experienced one way or the other, either horror just from hearing what happened, or horror by being in these episodes. And they were able to set that aside and literally get up the next morning and jump right in to to mitzvos and chesed, and that's pretty remarkable. So that, that is a lot of credit to the parents who use those years in, in Tangier, where most people would just be grateful to be safe, to be right. away from the guns of war. Right. She, she launched this, this not only advocacy, but this life-saving operation. You know, people thought she was crazy. I, I wrote that for sending packages into the camps. They said, right. it's not going to reach anybody. You're, all you're doing is feeding the Nazis. You're giving them chocolate and cigarettes and sardines and scarves. She didn't stop, and she kept pushing, and, and she subsequently was proven right. I wouldn't say all the packages got to people, but many of them did get to people and gave them life-saving food and uh, you know, opportunities to bribe guards, which was also the difference between life and death. That, that was the feedback she got after the war. In addition to it, through the Red Cross, she kept mail going and, and you know, uh, lines of communication open between inmates and their families. This didn't end, and it was a family. She, she made it a family enterprise. They sat around that table, as I wrote in Tangier, and they, they just put together parcels all day, yep. every day, shipping it. There's a story in the book, which it's not about Moshe Reichman, it's about his older brother, Eli Reichman. He subsequently moved to Israel, where he built the, the Bell Center, you know, the Pamon, mm-hmm. you know, the, the mall. Mm-hmm. He was doing business, and he was the oldest son, and he was ready to start to do business. He was 16, 17 years old in Tangier, and he had a shipment of almonds, I think. I love this story. I love this story. And his mother <laughs> confiscated them. <laughs> For what she was doing, and he said, like he had that, and she explicitly like looked him in the eye and said, "Buddy, we're not here to do business. You could do business if it, but if there's a chance to help a Jew, that comes first. Business is always secondary." So she, you know, she what's it called when the government takes over your shipment, right? Uh, reapportioned that, right. that shipment of almonds for herself to help Jews, and she paid him his costs and, and only his costs. He this is not relevant. Right, because a do that could be helped. He had dreams of making a good profit on that, uh, on that right, look, look, operation. That's why he got them, right? Of course, he didn't get it. He was getting later. He understood what she was telling him. Of which, which is unbelievable. I mean, today parents would hesitate to ever do that to a child. <laughs> frankly, even the older children, you don't want to, you don't want to sabotage their their operation, even if it is for Chesed. It, it, the whole oh, thing. Oh, you know, one day, Nachum, if you could invite me on your show, we could talk about today's parents. Altogether, nothing to do with books. One day mm. when there's no new books out and it's quiet, yeah. could do that. But there are, love that. But, 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 but that having been said, uh, this book might then be worth purchasing, if, if only for, to see how his parents you know, dealt with life-saving situations. And with, oh, I love with, what you're saying. That's not, you know, everybody looks at the angle and they think it's obvious things. That they're going to see the, the integrity. Right. You know, we're, we're living in an era now when there's, Baruch Hashem, unprecedented wealth right. in, the, in the Jewish community. 
may it continue and flourish. A yeah, lot of people are making money, and they don't know what to do with it. There's no guidebook. There's no handbook. There's no and manual. It makes, no and, it makes in, and, it makes in, and it makes integrity very difficult. Yeah, and no one's really teaching it to you. That means even if you learn halacha and musa, right. and you know that there's, in theory, you go into the workplace, and there's all kinds of challenges, and you read this book about this man who was so rock-solid in his convictions, and not only did they respect him, they revered him. I spoke to many people who wouldn't use off-color language in front of him, not Jewish people. A woman told me that they would instinctively cover, cover themselves up if they weren't dressed appropriately right. when he walked into a room. Not because of anything he said. You could be sure he didn't say anything. But he created such a force of persona that was, like you're saying, dignified and, and noble and honest and real that everybody revered him. And you saw when he passed away, the accolades coming from the secular yeah. press and heads of government. government. He, was, he made Canada proud. He was, um, the reaction you just described is the reaction that many non-from and non-Jewish people will give to Rosh Hashiva. They understand the, the way the person looks, presents themselves. I have to look a certain way. I have to speak a certain way in their presence, etc. He, he, not only, and I, I have to be careful how I say this, but I think you'll agree based on what you wrote, he not only got that type of respect from the people we just described, he got that type of respect from Rashi Yeshiva as well. I think it's safe to say that you actually point that out, right? I wrote that the Rashi Yeshiva were, were, were blown away by the fact that a wealthy, he was a tall man. He was six feet tall. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know what the Siegel family considers tall, but to me that's tall. And he, he would bend deferentially in any time he was in the presence of any kind of Talmud Chacham, his his posture switched. Instead of being that tall, erect bearing, he would be stooped towards them, always looking towards them. And he really saw himself. He saw his money. He really believed in the, in the mission that the Rebbe Shalom gives people money. Things that people talk about, he really believed, and that mm-hmm. the money wasn't his. And he, he was just there to disperse it, and they were the ones to tell him where to give it and how to give it. And that is why you know people might think he was removed, he was snobbish. He was, you know, because of the the well. It was exactly the opposite. He he never felt that this money was his. He never felt that that he had a right to live a certain way because there was this amount of money in the bank. He just felt that that this was given to him by the one above, and now he has to. And by the way, coming from what we described about his parents, I mean, it fits right into the mold here, of course. Right, of course, sure. His son told me that I didn't write it in the book. I didn't, I didn't think it was it belonged there, but it's just an it's an interesting fact, you know, vis-a-vis what you just said, that he his son had just gone to work. It was about three or four months after he joined the business. And on a Friday, he got a call from his father's broker in, in New York, and he says he needs to speak to Mr. Eichmann. He said he's not reachable. His father was in England for Shabbos, and was already Shabbos had already come in over right. there, so obviously he couldn't reach him. Right. So he says I have a decision that he needs to make now about either selling the stock or holding was worth, he said, tens of millions of dollars. So he said, I can't reach my father. He says, okay, so you need to make a decision. And he explained to him, you know, the two sides of the equation, whether to hold or sell. And the son said he didn't know much about business. He couldn't ask his father. So he made the decision on his own. And after Shabbos, he told his father what happened. So his father said, okay, tell me the calculation you made. And his father smiled and he appreciated it. So the son tells him, my father never told me if I won or lost because that wasn't relevant. He wanted to know how I got there, that it was a sound calculation I made. And then he was okay, because the money was so not the goal. He enjoyed business immensely. He enjoyed the opportunity that business gave him to help others immensely. But the money itself was never the goal. So he said, it didn't make a difference if I won or lost. As long as my father approved of the way I thought, he, he liked my approach to the problem, then we were okay. He, it never was relevant. He never got back to me. He said, was he right or wrong? It didn't make a difference. Unbelievable, I'll tell you. Uh, the book is called Building for Eternity, The Life and Legacy of Ramosha Reichman. Yisrael Besser, the author, is with us live via telephone, artscroll.com, 
Always use promo code radio when ordering this book or anything else for your discount and for your free shipping. By the way, I am I am literally a mile away. And a lot of people in the younger generation, a lot of people in every generation don't realize this. I'm a mile away right now from the World Financial Center. That's a Reichman project, right? That's something that they took great pride in, I'm sure. Tremendous pride. It was, it was at that time when he walked into Manhattan. He was an unknown Canadian. And almost immediately, the same words, you know, uh, first-class developer, elegance, the words that became associated with every one of their properties. And Battery Park City was, was a landfill that had years of mismanagement and neglect and bureaucracy. It just sat there. And he, you probably remember that. Sure. And he came in with this vision, and right away they were swept away by his ideas of what he could do with the property. And, and you know, they loved it. And famously, Ed Koch said at the groundbreaking right. that the Reichmans, he spoke about, it was, this was like a, a high moment when Ed Koch said that the Reichmans didn't want to work on Chavez. They wouldn't allow their crews to work on Chavez. They right. wouldn't allow plumbers, electricians, alarm right. installers. Nobody. <laughs> no, no part of, all of the, you know, not just the office was closed. Every single component of, of, the, of, of construction was closed down on Shabbos. And Koch spoke about it and said, and somehow they always come in on budget and on time. Yep. So that was really the height of Kiddush Hashem <laughs> to, hear, to hear him say that, where it, not only the Shabbos didn't cost them, they somehow managed to, to respect the schedule. And, and having known Koch, I'm sure under his breath he was saying, are they crazy? <laughs> like, <I'm telling> <laughs> oh, Koch was very frustrated from them. I wrote this in the book. Uh, you know, uh, A. Biederman told me that he was housing commissioner. At the right, time. right. And Koch was infuriated by the fact that the Reichmans had no, you know, every other developer in the city was just trying to get a moment of his time and ingratiate themselves right. with him. And the Reichmans had no interest in meeting him. It wasn't relevant. <sighs> I we weren't there to do selfies. There's no self. My met every head of state, right? We're living in an era where if you're in the White House and you have a, you see an usher, you're taking a selfie with him. You know what I mean? You're, you're busy taking with some undersecretary to the undersecretary of, of uh, agriculture. You're doing a selfie. And my Rafferty met head of state regularly. There's no picture of him that's posed. Any picture of him with Mulroney or Bush, Reagan or Thatcher is in conversation that somebody else took. The only thing he ever posed with, frankly, were models of his buildings. That's like the only thing Bottle you ever see. Because that was for promotional material. Right. Again, that was the exactly. goal. He, he, was, that was, he was doing business. Unbelievable. I'll tell you. He was very focused on that. And, you know, again, for those of us who lived through this era, uh, one of the things that always fascinated us was the, uh, and, you know, you'll excuse me for saying it this way, but, you know, people pay attention to the failures. We know about the failures mm-hmm. that they had in business. And, of course, you know, we, we, we were all um, – uh, we were all uh, um, uh, listening to the news of the, you know, financial demise and the and the collapse of the Reichman Empire, etc. And again, just like I said regarding the end of World War II, I did not realize until Yisrael Besser told me in this book. I did not realize that the next morning they're dusting themselves off, and he. Again, maybe not with the same amount of money that he was worth the day before, whatever the calculation was, but he's, you know, accepting people who need checks for chesed organizations. You know, it's funny. In 2008, I remember people saying this, that the, the first thing to go is going to beat Stucca. You know, it's going to be the first thing to go. You know, if you think you're going to collect money, it'll be the first thing. Just the opposite. He faces his own financial challenge, a ma- massive one, as you could imagine, and you describe it. And, and and the next day, you know, he's not turning anybody away. Maybe the checks were a drop smaller, but he's not turning anybody away. In, in, 
credible both in terms of the stock and the business itself. That means he was a man in his 60s who experienced, like I said, a colossal financial failure right. that was in every newspaper in the world, in every home, and he dusted himself off even even in regard to business, to the rebuilding, which he did. Like, again, not with the same magnitude, right. scope, and success, of course, but he but he, he rebuilt a lot of it. And he, he ended up back in Canary Wharf to be able to do that, to, to like you say, dust yourself off. Right. It's really, it's not only stamina and courage, it's also tremendous amuna. it's faith. He believed completely. You know, people would speculate all the time that Thatcher had, had blown Canary Wharf for him because she right. promised underground, right. and the, the rail line wasn't ready in time, and that, of course, was catastrophic. Right. And he, he would never allow people to say it, and he would never even give credence to the theory because he says there's a rebellion song, there's a master, and it wasn't meant to be. He didn't let himself go there. If, if I could have spoken, he, he wanted self-help books and the stuff that we tell ourselves today about how to feel good. He 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 just had enough of to say when I got very wealthy, I didn't think it was because I was so smart. I believed in his blessings. So when I lost that wealth, it's also him. So Shar Habitachan was enough of a self-help book for him. <laughs> he, like we wrote there, there's a, a safer. I learned it a lot when I was writing the book, Hazanish Amunabitach, and I couldn't right. understand the line of it. The, the Hebrew is so sophisticated, it's lyrical, but I needed help with, with every line of it. He, this was a safer that he traveled with everywhere he went. So much so, this was an emotional thing. His children told me that after a person passes away, there's very often items or objects that the children associate with them a menorah, or a right. theta plate, right. or a kiddush cup. Right. They said there was nothing of their father's that meant anything to them emotionally that they connected with him other than that one safer. His copy of Chazanashim wouldn't be talking that. They saw him in. That was his essence. And he lived with that safer until the end of his life. Unbelievable. The that runs through the story is tremendous. Unbelievable. And, and that's what it's all about. It's all about having faith and knowing that the one above is controlling everything, which is, uh, by the way, yet another reason. <laughs> I love finding angles why people should buy your books, Israel. <laughs> yet another reason. that you, know, you, have ri- you have written books before that I have described on the air as a Musser safer. There's a lot of Musser in here. There's a lot of Musser in here about just believing in the one above and let him being your guide, and that's it. Right. I would like to think that, I know you remember, sir, but it's a book that uplifts a person rather right. than, you know, it doesn't tell them how weak he is, it tells them how great he is. Yeah, no question about it. By the way, Rachman embodies the, the perfection of man, the heights that man could reach, not in the right matter. Like I said, most Gadolim books, uh, Gadolim, Rosh Hashivas, Rabbis, Rabbanim, teachers, he was somebody who, for 40 years of his life, he took a detour. He started in the classroom, right. but he left for about 40 years. You know, we have never lost now I was going to say we haven't spent enough time on this. You're right that that his entire his entire being was based on Torah. His early years were such important years for for the way he ended up becoming. Right, he and he would always talk about those as his best years, those years yeah. after his wedding, living alone, just him and his wife in Tangier, right. teaching, raising money for a school, worrying about uh, if there's going to be electricity the next morning. Administrator. And anybody in his uh, generation still around from the family or not? His, his brothers are around. I, I spent expensive time with one of them who was wow. in a better position to talk, his brother Ralph. It's listen Toronto. He was tremendous help to me. Unbelievable. And uh, and I assume and that, that they are still active in the world of chesed, stucca, real estate, etc. I would assume that he left a legacy, not of bankruptcy, but a legacy of, of activity. For sure, business and innovation, and like you're saying, in chesed. And he, someone told me recently that their mother passed, their father passed away 
the early 80s, right. and they didn't know Moshe Rachman, but they went to him for money, a new almana. So he said he's going to put $250,000 on account, but they should match the Askanim should match it. Right. This was before anybody talked that way about matching funds <laughs> right. and stuff, there's no charity come in. He said he's going to give 250 personally, and they should raise 250 And when they were 250 he'll give his 250 So that inspired them. 250 was a goal they thought they could reach. Right. And he told me this first time that his mother still lives from that Karen. I mean, she lives on the interest of that. It generates interest. She lives alone. She's said, till today, she's living from Moshe Reichman's idea. And there's so, I would say thousands of people like that across this world who are still living in some way right. from an investment he made for them. You know, he was the first one to encourage couples to move out and out of Yerushalayim and B'nai Brak, he saw it wasn't sustainable. So he would, he would lend money to anybody who bought an apartment in any of the peripheral cities of Israel. And he would usually waive that loan just to get them on their feet. So the, the, it, it's unimaginable the, the scope of what's going on today in the world just as a result of this man and his vision. Unbelievable. The whole thing is just incredible. Uh, the we book- had a check for a million dollars before Moshe Rachman came along. He was the first to make that because the wealth was already there at the, uh, in those years, you know, in the 80s and in the 90s. Meaning in our general That's community. Just- in the general, in the wider Jewish community, but right. people weren't accustomed to writing texts like that. So you can get away with a lot less. Why write bigger? And he thought differently. He, you know, Rabbi Shalom Miller told this to me, that many people, the, the mortgage, you take a mortgage on a building, so what's the value of a building? It has its inherent value, and then it has how much it's worth, then how much you say it's worth. It's very hard to, to figure out the precise amount. He said he started to give stucker against the projected worth of the building. So if you bought a building for a million dollars and thought he could sell it for 1.5, his stucker changed according to how much he imagined it. He said he was the first person to borrow money for stucker. He said, if I'm borrowing money against my buildings to buy other buildings, why can't I borrow money against my buildings to give stucker? See, he was just fueling the stucker enterprise with building and building and building to give more. Unbelievable. And so many philanthropists, as you just said, is small and large. Are, are, are living a chesed life off of those lessons, off of what he taught us. There's a generation of people today who consider themselves, and he considered them, tell me, to be always, if people would call him, younger businessmen called him up for business advice, many of them just wanted to be, he had this aura, they wanted to be exposed to him. He always made time for them, and he explained to somebody, not because he thought his advice was so wise and it was necessary, but he wanted to connect with the next generation of donors, many of whom are household names in the world of ISIS today, because he wanted to empower them and and remind them of their responsibilities. So they became, he had like this informal network of next generation donors, all of whom were were inspired by him. You know, and and by the way, when you mentioned the million dollar checks and you talk about the the help for widows and orphans, which of course has to be our massive priority when it comes to Tzedaka. Um, uh, these are yeshivas, organizations, places in Israel, places outside of Toronto. And I say it that way because he was obviously based in Toronto, but took a great interest in in uh, Torah institutions that were outside of his own city. Uh, in addition to, I can only imagine what they did in Toronto itself. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and 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 when you say million dollar checks, that was again, you know, somebody who led the way in showing others that you can support a day school with a check like that, and you can, uh, uh, you know, encourage others to to match and give amounts that are, you know, in that range. And that's uh, and we today we don't think of it that way, but in those days it was revolutionary. Just wasn't done. Mm-hmm. Wasn't done on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the book is called Building for Eternity. If you are like me. And the name Reichman was one that, uh, you know, there, there are certain names today, Israel Besser, which we're not going to say on the air, but there are certain names today that are always bandied about when people talk about, you know, trying to raise money for good causes. 
so so everybody out there, if you're from that generation where those names are being used, imagine in our generation the name Reichman was the what was the go-to when it came to uh, it you know one of the kids told me I didn't write this in the book, but they were saying how with his humility he knew who he was, he understood how people viewed him to a degree anyhow. So she said they were once in Florida in the lobby of the hotel, they were going somewhere, and there was this older couple. It's their 50th anniversary, and the husband was surprising the wife. Not not a nobody they knew. They just overheard right. this older couple, and the husband surprised his wife with a limo. They picked him up to take them out to dinner for their right. anniversary. Right. So the wife screams out in the hotel lobby, oh, boy, who do you think you are, Paul Reichman? <laughs> so the daughter told me that her father just smiled. Like, he, he, heard, he heard, you know, he heard the comments, and he, like, he smiled, he got it, and he moved on. He, be, he, he was not just a person, he was a, uh, what do we Yeah, call- but he understood, like, he yeah. didn't say, what is, why, why'd you say that? He got it. No, but I'm saying that the, the, the name Reichman became like a noun, like that was the, or an adjective, an adjective for wealth in the Jewish world, it was always Reichman. Anyway, uh, go to artscroll.com, the book is called Building for Eternity, Yisrael Besser is the author, it's the life and legacy of Ramosha Reichman, and for all the reasons I just mentioned in this conversation, uh, you should make sure to read this. It's a very, very important book uh, for those who care about Torah, chesed, business, Jewish history. It's all there in this book, and I congratulate you on that, Yisrael Besser. I have to take a minute, and I'm sure it'll be a lot more than a minute, uh, to mention that Yisrael Besser has another new book out, and especially for those of you who saw the Nishmas book uh, and others that he has uh, done in this format, uh, th- this is just incredible. It's Arise and Sing. It is the power of the first prayers of the day through commentary, stories, and inspiration. It takes you from Moda'ani through Birchas Sashachar. It takes you from Moda'ani uh, until the morning blessings that uh, that we say, the list of morning blessings. And um, I- I'll tell you what, um, I don't remember who I said this to. Maybe I said it to myself, frankly, Israel, when I when I first saw the book. For me, this is an amazing book, and I'll tell you why. I love, love. I, I, I'm a, I'm, I'm pretty well known as a shul, uh, you know, davening guy. You know, I, 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 I'm, I, I pride myself out, outside of what on this show, trying, trying to be in shul as much as possible. I love, love the the parts of davening that feel the most personal between me and the one above. Uh, that that's mm-hmm. wh- that's why I have, and I've done this in my public tefillah lecture that I give. Uh, that's why I have a special affinity toward the second half of Ashrei, because I do. I believe if you read the words carefully and internalize it, it's literally a as much as it's a public prayer and one that is asking for things on behalf of and praising God for what He does for the general community. I believe there's a very very personal angle to it. Uh, I think some people uh, appreciate Birchas Achodesh a lot because they feel that that is a personal plea to God to make the upcoming days you know, as strong and as full of uh, Yerushalayim as possible. And this, the Moda'ani through Birchaz HaShachar, for me, might be the highlight of daily davening because of that feeling of the personal aspect that it is between me and God. I have to imagine that that's one of the reasons that this is uh, already making its mark uh, it, as a brand new book in the Jewish world, I, I would hope so. There's definitely, you know, I, I'm impressed and somewhat jealous of you that you were able to connect with it. But a lot of people felt 
that these prayers get shortchanged. Because what happens is in many homes, you're, you're running, you're doing carpool, you got to get to the office, you got to to the brachas, it ends up being something you're mumbling while you're driving mm-hmm. or while you're going to the car. And by the time you get to Shul already, they're up to Barsham or Ashray, so you quickly have to put on your fill-in, and they were getting a raw deal. And we spoke about this when I put on Ishmael last right. year, how in COVID, those three, four, five months, however long people were home for, depending where they live, people fell in love with davening. They discovered that, no, it's not that davening is a stress. Davening is a joy, except we never have time to enjoy it. We never savor it. So it's like when you put somebody in a good restaurant and you say, okay, order seven courses, but you have 15 minutes to do so. <laughs> of, course they're not, of course they won't enjoy the food. It's just pressure to them. So a little bit we did the same thing, especially to chakras, which is longer. And it's at a time of day when, uh, I don't have to tell it to you, you're the one who invented working in the morning. I don't know anybody who starts working earlier than you now. So, you know, people were feeling, and then they were home, and there, there was no, suddenly everything stopped. Suddenly they were like, okay, we, li- we like this. What does it mean? Why am I saying Sha'asali uh, Kaltarki and not like every other bracha? What Sha'asali? Why did it suddenly get super personal like you just indicated? You know, it goes to uber personal and Sha'asali Kaltarki. Why there? I don't. You ever think about that? A hundred percent. Can I tell you the answer? Yes. Because I love it. Please do. I have to tell you such a good thing. Shasa Lee Kaltaki, right? So it's a little bit of an anomaly. He does for me all my needs. Right. The format of all the other brachas is the one who provides needs. Right? This is such a beautiful part from Sasava. He says that if you, you see a friend and uh, use a Montreal example, his car broke down, the battery died, and he needs a boost on a cold day. You can't say, it's from Hashem, Hashem takes care, don't worry, it's going to be okay. Or if somebody needs a loan, you can't say, God takes care. For yourself, you have to say that, but for somebody else, you better help them. So Sha'asa Li called Turkey. This is the Ebishtah takes care of needs. That's for me. When I'm in need, I have to remind myself, this happened to me, I needed that to happen, and it's for my good. But when your friend's in trouble, that's not the time for your bitachan hat. That's the time for helping somebody else out. That's the time to throw yourself into it. So make sure that you're understanding that the Bunchon provides our needs for yourself and only for yourself. No wonder you said to me off the air these two books have a, uh, have a common thread. <laughs> because no, because uh, ches, ches, ches and bitachan are the two themes. Exactly, exactly. I, I felt very much there was overlap in, in, in a lot of the themes. And, and even the, uh, the sense that there's always a mission, that a Jew lives his life, there's always marching orders, so you're never off. Right. So Moshe Rachman took that to, to banks and boardrooms, that you also have a mission. And these brachas remind you that every step you take and every, everything you look at in the course of the day and everything is essentially part of God's chesed with you and has to be elevated. Right. If we're going to be uh, Torah true Jews, then 100% of everything we do has to be uh, uh, influenced, at the minimum influenced, if not completely guided and commanded. Influenced, and sometimes the influence just means recognizing right. that he's allowing you to, to, to see this beautiful painting right. or, or enjoy a walk, whatever, yeah. whatever it means. But there's an active connection that's always going on. And the brachas, the whole from Moda'ani. Straight through, remind you. Oh, I, I love your analysis of the different sections of Moda'ani and, and why it is that these are the words we first say in the morning. It's so remarkable. But I have to, and look, we're, we're limited on time, and obviously, as I always say, maybe one day you'll come in here and we'll do a two, three-hour conversation, which would be amazing. Uh, oh, by the I way, you're, you're in Canada. Are you out of lockdown yet or not? Are you still... Uh... <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, are, That's an excellent have, joke. Have, That's a great joke to have, start off have, today, have, things, and I appreciate it. I'm happy listeners. Have things opened up yet or not? I don't know. Things are well, going no on. doubt, approach the new day with laughter in their hearts. 
Well, if they're, south, if they're south of the border, they'll be laughing. What can I tell you? <laughs> they actually opened up your border yesterday. The U.S. opened its borders yesterday. So yesterday? So immigration from Canada yesterday to let people in. Seriously? Yeah, for real. So the opposite must have happened months ago, meaning us visiting you must have happened months ago, then I would guess. <laughs> Canada opened up a long time ago. The United States only opened their border yesterday. Wow. I didn't, and, and that included Canadians? So most of the people in the Jewish community here, many, many, I would say 80% of the people here are American citizens anyhow. Right, so they point. were never precluded. And there was a loophole right. that you could always fly in. Right. So when Jews had a, a simcha or the opposite, right. Rahman they always found a way. But to, to the wider community in Montreal yesterday, the, the lineup at the border yesterday was about six or seven hours of people wow. who just needed to get out. Unbelievable. Are your minyan, I'm, and now I'm not joking, are your minyanim taking place in regular shuls, regular system, back, yeah, everything back home? Yeah. Now, you know what, we had a very intense lockdown and curfew, but I have to say that to a degree, it, it, it worked in the sense that, that we respected it, and then we reopened beautifully. We, we, people don't realize that we reopened fairly quickly. That means we respected the, the law, of course, and worked with them. And uh, you know, by the middle of last winter, we were open already again. And that included schools and, and things like that? It did. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay, see, see what happens when you're hundreds of miles away. What can I tell you? Can't believe you can't believe the media. You know that. <laughs> That's true. Uh, that, but I, you know, obviously we don't have enough time to go through everything here. But we got to talk about the one paragraph that is just. I mean, if one, in my opinion, if there's a centerpiece to Hashkama Saboker, if there's a centerpiece of Modani through the old Birchos Hashachar, it's the line Elokai Neshama Shnosata Bitahorahi. And that whole paragraph, we are we are expressing such gratitude and such recognition. How must how must God feel, Kaviyachol, when he hears someone say these words every morning? It must make him feel great. Again, I say Kaviyachol, but you get my point. It must be an amazing right. feeling for him to hear his children say this and say it this way. Sure, the joy of the you know the some the whole parakshira really is an expression, right, right. Of, of the creation coming alive every morning, and and Chazal is replete, We're talking about Hashem's joy in that, how much pleasure he derives derives from that shira right. of creation. Like you take the centerpiece of man, and the centerpiece of man is the neshama shenasatavi, which remains always the hierarchy. And that's it, and 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 of course, subsequent to that, and I encourage people <clears> to look at it. All the words in that paragraph are so meaningful and so incredible. I, did, I didn't realize, again, until I got into this project, uh, the, the precision of the words that were chosen right. by the how many, down to how many words appear right. in each thing. And there are differentiations between Sfad and Ashkenaz at times, and even that has significance, what they're arguing about. Right. It was very, very instructive to me. I, I didn't know most of the things. Oh, I'll tell you. And by right, and, and we need to recognize that, because sometimes people get frustrated that we analyze words of Torah giants of a certain era, the same way Lahavdil, and I think it's proper to say it that way, I'm saying it in a positive way, Lahavdil, we analyze words of the Torah itself, which of, which of course is a completely legitimate practice. And I think that on a positive way, there is a legitimacy to it, to the why they use this word and the accuracy of, of, of what they used. And, and as you said, you know, making sure the expression comes out the right way. And it's really important. I think it enhances our bitachon, frankly, when we see just how careful they were about the words and phrases of that course, they've chosen. The, the power and the, and the potency yeah. that lies in every word of Adainayalam and of Mataivu, every right. single one of the Zachas is. And you know, Rav Schwab really based a lot on Rav Hirsch, one of the first <coughs> who opened it up. And you read the writings of these people. 
of that school of thought, the, the Hersheans all the way down to Vern or Schwab, and you, you understand what it means, precision in words, the way they analyze every single word, every letter that's used to connect. I'm just thinking about it as you're saying it, but you're <clears> right. <throat> the precision is such an important part of it. By the way... I, I think it's not coincidental that in those communities... They, they actually daven. I mean, <laughs> you walk into Breuer's, nobody's moving, no one's jangling keys, no one's checking their cell phone to see the Yankees' course. It's the decorum is tremendous. So we can make jokes about it, or you could realize that these are people who were instructed in Tila early on. So of course they take it seriously. Wow. I, that's a statement that I'm going to be analyzing with my kids at the Shabbos table this week. I can tell you that much. You all best. You you just made I didn't it. Say it's the most fun place to dive in, 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 the, in the whole world. No, but the fact but that in you're terms saying of the richness of the Tefillah experience and the seriousness of the Tefillah experience. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. But it's an incredible generalization, which I think, unfortunately, you're accurate about. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think you're right, uh, but it doesn't. As generalizations it, go, yeah, yeah, but it doesn't mean that it's not worthy of conversation. Let me tell you. But what was For the sure. fir- what was the first thing that Nahum Siegel did when he got this book? And you'll appreciate this. <laughs> the, tell fir- me. the first thing I did, I for some reason became one of those people. I don't remember what it was. It may have been a high school thing. It may have been just after that. I became one of those people who says Alakain Shama after Asha Yatzer. Because of really? the because of the yeah. the smichas habrachas, you know that whole issue mm-hmm. with with um, mm-hmm. I forgot already the concept. What's it called? The um, uh, right, right. The brachas you know with, what I'm talking with, about. With Hashem's name, with right. the same malchus, yeah. Correct. And 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 I of course look to see uh, where you put Elokai Neshama. Although frankly, mm-hmm. although frankly, I was um, I was uh, I, I think I knew the answer before I uh, actually opened up the book. Because so you, say, I'm just, you say Elikanishama before Birchatira? Correct. Right after Ashiatsa. Okay, I got it. Right after Ashiatsa. I got it. Which, okay. which other people do. I don't want you to think I invented it. I think Nusachashkanaza. I don't. But I think Nusachashkanaza does well, that wholesale. Well, not no? in the traditional Nusachashkanaz sitter, uh, but there are people in the Ashkenazi community who do it for the reason I said about that there should be, that you shouldn't start right. a final bracha that doesn't have an opening bracha. I, I can't remember the concept right, right now. But anyway, mm. how did I know the answer before I opened the book? Because mm-hmm. who, who of course, was so close, uh, and this is certainly a topic you could address today because it's probably uh, it's probably completely uh, dominating your life right now. Who was the person that these Lotowitz family would turn to for questions about anything, including tefillah? And of course, the an- and the answer, of course, is the great Rav David Feinstein of blessed memory, who we miss mm-hmm. every every community misses him. But you can imagine how much this community misses him on a daily basis. Said, sure. So sure. one time, one time, a friend of mine who was very close with Rav David Feinstein uh, and I were discussing this, and I said, you know, I do this, and, and, and there is a rabbinic precedent for it that you know I say the bracha after Mafli um, Lasos, after you know Ashayatzer. Then I say Lakhana Shama, and this person said to me, I'm going to ask Rav David Feinstein, and Rabbi Feinstein, in his, and I'm sure you're getting a lot of this as you do your research. In his incredible style, said the following. He said, "You know, every he says I totally get it. Meaning, you know, if, if your friend is doing this, no problem. I, I get why they're doing it. But I am going to continue to do what is written in our sitter. If our sidur tells us that this is the order it's supposed to be in, meaning Elokai Neshama is right before Birchas Hashachar. If that's what the sitter says, and this has been our tradition for all these years, then that is what I will continue to do." So that's how I knew the answer before I opened it up. I always think of him. Whenever I do it, I think of him because he had an appreciation for why one might 
uh, do otherwise. Oh, maybe you want to include this in your book, by the way. You may want to. You may want to include oh, for sure. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but his... okay, well, on our way. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I made your your Tuesday much easier now. <laughs> I can tell you that when that book comes out, it will definitely include the Rabbi David Feinstein Nachum Siegel relationship. I appreciate that. But he, um, but but that was his thing. That you know, this is our Masora. This is our tradition, and the sitter that was arranged by people before this generation. This is the way they said it should be said. So I thought that, you know, mm-hmm. I'd share that tidbit with you. And uh, I appreciate it very much. It yeah. definitely fits. And it definitely fits his personality, right? Like this, you know? For sure. This is what we're told to do, and that's it. And the, that that a staggering guyness fused with the persona of a simple yid just yeah. doing his thing, sitting, you know, with a sitter. Have you broken the news to the uh, to the people at Art School that it's going to be an 800-page book, or, or are you not, you're not up to that stage yet? <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it must be very hard for you on a typical Tuesday deciding which of today's stories are going in and which of today's stories no, are going in. A little bit of a novel position to books or approach yeah. to books. Maybe you noticed it in the, in the book, in the Rachman book, which you're holding. Yeah. I, I don't believe a longer book is better. I believe a shorter book takes much more work. It's just like a shorter speech. Right. It takes, you know, people say that it takes five minutes to prepare an hour speech and an hour to prepare a five-minute speech. That's correct. Because when you're really, really weighing every word and you want every story to have maximum effect, then you don't, you don't want to a cup. You don't want to belabor the point. So I, I think that to myself that, that sometimes consumers say, oh, how many pages is it? Oh, wow, I'm getting my money's worth. But I think sophisticated and savvy consumers understand that a shorter book sometimes is going to be a much more explosive force in your life because every word is accounted for. So I, I, I'm always trying to write shorter rather than longer and keep the book shorter. I, I, frankly, the attention span of people isn't what it was even when I started 10 years ago. There's so many things competing for your distraction, especially on a weekday, for, you know, pulling out your brain. But I also like the experience of, I, I want people to get lost in a read. I don't want them to read uh, two minutes before bedtime. Right. I want them to pick up the book when they have some time on a Sunday or on a Shabbos or whenever it is and just get into it. And I, I realize that by writing long, I lose people. Some, especially with David Feinstein, who, to whom brevity was the, the goal of goals. He rarely spoke in public, and if he did, it would be a minute or two. And he cho- he didn't use words he didn't have to use. I, I would want to pay tribute to that through brevity. So the 800-page work doesn't speak to me. I am not a Talmud of his, as you know. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, by accident, if there is such a thing as an accident in this world, I by accident became his neighbor 30-plus years mm-hmm. ago. And... Um, even though we did not have that personal relationship that so many of his Talmudim and others and certainly his relatives had with him, nonetheless, I could tell you that he affixed the mezuzah on this studio door where I sit today, which uh, is something I always really? think about. Yeah, he oh, that's so nice. I hope you have pictures of that. I, I do have I have pictures of it somewhere that I do. I hope I'll find them, frankly, and um, oh, well, and that's very meaningful to me because again, you know, somebody who's you know was certainly not in the inner circle, so to speak, but made this request that he climb the steps here and, and affix the mezuzah when this studio opened in 2003. I'm like, you know, I, I look back at it like, you know, what a special moment and what a tremendous privilege it is for all of us. That, uh, that he... I learned something about him, which I didn't know. A close friend of his time, I didn't know this, that when Ramesha took over Teferit Yushalayim, it was not only a school, but a shul. It was more of a shul than a school. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So Ramesha always saw himself as a rav of the community. So even though eventually it only became an institution, a school, and it didn't remain a shul, David saw himself as inheriting his father's rabbonus, so to speak. So he saw himself as a shtetl called the East Side, and it was very much a shtetl-type rabbonus. I don't have to tell you. That means uh, people on the East Side are telling me things like that. Someone told me last week he got engaged. 
his father called Rav David to say, oh, where do I buy the ring? Where do I? So he told him where to go on 47th Street. And when I went to the store, the, the, the dealer told him, oh, Rav David already called, I'll give you a discount. He said, if you had an ingrown toenail, you went to Rav David to ask who should take care of it. He ran it like a shtetl from 100 years ago where you spoke to the Rav about everything, as you know. Yeah. He, he wanted to be at the Simchas. He wanted to be involved with the people. The people of the East Side were his people. Those were his folks. And, and you hear that, those, those long, you know, Simchas, there was a time in his life, the last years, he wasn't going to Simchas at all, except yeah, for family and Eastsiders. Yeah. The Eastsiders uh, were sort of... No, I was going to say, when we made our first wedding, he, he, it, it, it appeared that he was doing everything in his power, and it was not a short ride from here, it was a long ride from here. It, it was doing everything in his power to be there. Unfortunately, again, as you indicated at the last minute, just practically speaking, health-wise, etc., it didn't work out, but just the fact that he expressed such interest in making sure that, if possible, he's going to be there. I mean, you know, to be able to say to the Masada Kedushin, you know, you're the Masada Kedushin. If Rav David does show up, though, he goes, of course. Are you kidding? Just to be able to say that 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 there's a possibility he'll walk in was amazing. Anyway, amazing. what could I tell you? Always a delight to speak Beautiful with you. People. We get to talk about such good people. Yeah. It's so nice. That's true. And learn a lot from them, to say the least. And the big yeshikoch to you, Yisrael Besser, for all of that. Thank uh, you, Nachum. So nice. Can't thank you enough. Love looking, you. looking forward to uh, to seeing you in person one of these days. Always a pleasure. Yisrael Besser, everybody. The book is called Building for Eternity, The Life and Legacy of Ramosha Reichman. The other book that we are highly recommending today is called Arise and Sing, The Power of the First Prayers of the Day Through Commentary, Stories, and Inspiration. If you're someone like me who feels that it is those prayers that are the most personal between you and God every single day, uh, you will absolutely love this book. Just love it. Um, and we're highly recommending both. Go to artscroll.com, use promo code radio. When you use promo code radio, you know what happens. You get a nice discount, plus you get free shipping. Go to artscroll.com. Follow the rule of using promo code radio. My thanks to Israel Besser, and thank you all for listening on a Tuesday morning broadcast at JM in the AM. Again and again, I again and again.
Baruch Levine here at JM and the AM, closing things out. Uh, that was some interview. Some conversation with Israel Besser. Can't thank him enough. Go to artscroll.com, use promo code radio. Go to artscroll.com, order the books, use promo code radio. You'll be glad you did. They are uh, they're life changers, frankly. They are life changers. Um, this portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman Kosher Hot Dog Sausage and Deli is the world's best, serving the kosher world since 1954 and available at Better Kosher Supermarkets nationwide. Try A&H today. And a reminder, the American Society for Yad Vashem invites you to join them for their 2021 National Gala. It's called The Art of Remembrance, a virtual experience scheduled for Sunday, this Sunday, November the 14th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. The event will be hosted by Israeli-American actress and activist Noah Tishbi. will honor the Engine family, leaders, and longtime supporters of Yad Vashem, and the program will focus on the arts and culture of the Shoah through the unique lens of Yad Vashem. It'll share remarkable musical and artistic works and showcase the creative spirit that lifted Jews during this very difficult period. Information, go to yadvashemusa.org slash 2021 gala. Yadvashemusa.org slash 2021 gala. All right. Uh, trying to think what else I got to tell everybody about. Big day as usual on the network. Avrami's live lunch coming up at 11 o'clock, 11 until 1 Eastern time. He's based in Israel, which means that'll be 6 till 8 p.m. for him. Take advantage of his uh, very careful attention he pays to the NSN app so you can get your requests and comments in 
And that's all happening again starting at 11 a.m. Eastern time right here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NahumSiegel.com and the Nahum Siegel Network, and of course, in the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing Tuesday here at JM and the AM. Plenty more tomorrow, and I certainly hope you'll be tuned in. Keep it here all day long for our great music and programming. And um, and I will speak to you starting at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. Have a fabulous Tuesday. Till tomorrow, Malcolm Single reminding you, remember to past, live the present, and trust the future. Uh-huh.